0: I was at a CIO conference. Someone said, what if I train someone and get them a certification and they leave, you know, because it makes it easier for them to leave. And my answer to him was, well, what if you don't and they stay? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the dichotomy that we're in today is that you want people to be trained and educated and moving forward, invest in them. If you invest in them, they will stay.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? Good. So, over the last couple of years, you and I have discussed a few times the sort of boom in certifications and the different on ramps that are emerging for folks who want to start working in the world of software. Today we are going to be chatting with Mike Hendrickson, the VP of Tech and Dev Products at Skillsoft and talking a bit about some of, you know, the certifications and sort of upskilling that they offer and where that fits into kind of this emerging trend of people onboarding into the world of software. I think primarily often to work within a, a like a cloud environment, you know, like mm-hmm. AWS and Azure and Google Cloud and IBM and all these big yeah. providers.
2: I mean, that seems where everybody's working now anyway.
1: Exactly. It's kind of a world in and of itself. It reminds me of like a almost like a very blue-collar thing back in the day, like, you know, HVAC repair. Like learn this trade and you can jump into this industry. And there's going to be jobs and opportunities right away. So to me, it's super interesting concept of sort of how the world of software and programming is changing. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, we always kick things off just by asking folks to give us a little bit of background tell us i guess yeah you know a little bit about who you are how did you get started in software and how you found yourself at the place you are today
0: okay a quick flyover i interned in in the los angeles area at a telecom company and really liked tech at that point so i went to a company called integrated computer systems thinking it was going to be a computer company it was a technical training company that later turned into learning tree a large provider and uh, after that i uh, was recruited by Addison Wesley to start up a competitor to Learning Tree. And we called that Technology Exchange Company. And after we sold that off a couple of years later, I stayed on as editor in chief of computer science, got to work with some great technologists, inventors of languages, all sorts of great people. After that, I took a 14 year stint with O'Reilly Media as their content strategist and did a lot of analysis, always looking for the signals you can find in data. And then the last three years, I've been at Skillsoft doing the same sort of thing. In the VP of Tech and Dev products, I get to look at a lot of data and a lot of conversations with people around the globe. So my perspective is typically more around the whole world of what's going on in software rather than just here in Massachusetts or the United States.
1: Tell us a little bit, you know, about from your perspective, kind of career road mapping and what the, the education process is like how has it changed you know over that time you've been sort of moving through different you know organizations and seeing this from different angles but when folks are interested in learning software you know what were they doing around the start of your career and how's it different from what they're doing today it's interesting it's probably a little bit more quick motion mm-hmm. today
0: and when i say quick motion i think the emphasis is on skills rather than maybe a longer term education or a pedigree or something like that so You know, I know people think, how can you go from nothing to a good career? Well, Mm -hmm. nothing is a bit harsh because everyone has something to begin with, whether it's knowledge, a skill, or even just desire to succeed. So all technologists, when they decide they're going into technology, they've made an implicit commitment to learn because technology changes so quickly that that commitment they've made to their career is going to be with them throughout their career. If they stop learning, they're going to become obsolete pretty quickly. So I think the thing I see the biggest change is really focusing on a skill rather than your longer term goal. That being said, you can accumulate several skills together and start to map your career roadmap for yourself. And I think it has to be intentional. You can't just accumulate skills and then Mm -hmm. think you've got what you need.
2: You know, I came through this uh, as a more formal computer science education, a few classes there. And it seemed like the computer science coursework was teaching you a broad-based computer education, right? You had the fundamentals, and then you had, you know, AI, and then you had OSs. When you talk about, you know, the kind of targeted, specialized skill sets... What are the sort of pathways you see people taking?
0: Very good question. So I see a lot of people looking at certification as an example to get started. A lot of them will take more like a focused learning effort where we have something called an Aspire journey that someone can go from a data analyst role all the way out to a data scientist role. So they'll look at something like that or an instructor-led training that's providing a week-long immersion in a topic. To pick up a skill. So from that formality of a college degree in computer science or engineering, a lot of people are starting to get that knowledge, but then really the on-the-job practice makes mm. a huge difference. So right. that's a piece that I think everyone has to think <laughs> about, whether it's in a university, in their own on-demand learning capabilities, that you need to practice to make that a durable skill, something that you can take with you wherever you go. And that's a a change I think over the last few years where it may not be as much about the theory anymore, but can you actually do it? Right. You know, and certifications are a good check on that as well.
1: I think there's definitely this truism that I heard, you know, even before I came to Stack Overflow working covering startups and the world of technology that getting a 4-year cs degree obviously has a lot of benefits but often you graduate knowing things that don't really have any applicability to the current job environment and as you're saying you know there's kind of the opposite tack which is take 6 months learn things that you're going to be using on the job and dive right in and then i guess the kind of reverse question of that would be you have to keep learning as you said you have to be able to move to the next thing do you have a better foundation for that having done 4 years of computer science or theory you know kind of like to continue to level up you know and if you want to move beyond those skills what is that you know CS degree worth? But certainly I think, as you said, and this is maybe tough for developers, I think there is a sense kind of like that you have to do your full-time job, plus you have to have a cool solo project or be working on some open source stuff. Plus you gotta be educating yourself about the languages and frameworks and platforms that are coming up. And it's like, man, I hope you've got some time, nights and weekends, you know, just to keep up with the industry. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that I always think about
0: on that is one of the biggest things you can do as a developer is make learning a habit. It's got to be a daily ritual, whether it's exercise that you do or we all sleep and eat. But those are kind of (laughs) habits. You know, we just do them. You have to do the same with learning. You have to make it an emphasis to learn. And the best thing I think you can do is figure out when you learn at the optimal time. So you know your day. So a lot of developers stay up till two, three, four in the morning working, and then they wake up at noon or whatever the next day. You know what your optimal time is, but carve that time out every day and make sure you take time to invest in yourself by making learning become a habit, a cultural habit that you do. And organizations need to do that same thing. They need to make learning a cultural norm in their organization where there might be time set aside every day for someone to spend 20 minutes to an hour learning because it pays dividends for that organization.
2: I worked at a place where we had it, you know, Friday afternoons where work on your own projects, learn, and that's tied with set aside for everybody.
1: Yeah. And here at Stack, yeah, there is, you know, a certain amount of time and budget, I think, set aside every year for developers if they want to attend conferences, take classes, buy books, that sort of thing. So I guess, you know, getting a little bit more specifically into what the options are today, how do you see, you know, the advantages or disadvantages of some of these faster turnaround options? So like if I decided today, hey, you know, content's great, but I'm I'm ready to like really get my hands dirty. I want to go and be a software developer somewhere. Should I go get a CS degree? Should I go to a boot camp, or should I do a certificate? Like, how do you see those different things? And maybe from there we can dive a little into some of the certifications you offer and why you think they're interesting.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question because we all learn differently. So you kind of have to know yourself, like, Do you want to hear someone teach you? Do you want a live person in front of you showing you how to do things? Do you like to just sequester yourself in a little corner and read and really go through a book in depth and then maybe code along with that book as you're practicing? Or do you like an on-demand course that isn't a live instructor, but it is someone teaching you and talking with you, and then you can pause it and play your coding box or whatever you're going to fire up to practice along. So I think for one, you have to know how you learn best. So there isn't a one
1: size fits everyone best approach. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, some practical considerations of the time and money you have available, I guess, to apply to something like this.
0: Absolutely. hundred percent. But the other part of it is what are you trying to learn and what is best suited for that? Usually when technology is very nascent and exploding in the market, there isn't a lot of instructor led training there might be some but there isn't right. as much training available at that point in time and there certainly isn't going to be a book because books typically take months to write and right. then publish so usually your your quickest approach is going to be a boot camp or a live instructor led training and then probably the on demand content after that so knowing where that technology fits in its life cycle is also important to how you learn
1: so yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the certifications you offer. I know we wanted to focus a little bit on this AWS one. So maybe talk us through that as an example. Like if I decided to do that today, what does it look like? You know, what's the sort of process? And when I come out of that, what kind of results do you see for people who have that certification or entering the job market? Well, again, we have a couple different
0: modalities at Skillsoft. So we have the instructor led from our global knowledge company, and they can walk you through and, you know, they're going to go through the exam with you basically prepare you to take the exam. At Mm. Skillsoft, we have on-demand content where you can fire it up, go through it. But the real beauty here is we also pepper in some practice labs where you're actually having to do what you just learned in preparation for your test. And then the real beauty, I think, here is we have a test prep engine that lets you go into two different modes. One is a learn mode where you get immediate feedback if you miss a question that will be on pretty much be on the exam. So you get immediate feedback on that, or you go into exam mode, much like you're taking the exam. You don't get a score until the very end, pass or fail. Did you have enough correct to do it? And it's a really good way to gauge, are you learning the material that you're going to need, not only to pass the test, but hopefully you're passing the test because you want to do the job And that's the part that I think some certifications might miss is that, are they really preparing you to do that job on a day-to-day basis? Because that really is the essence of taking a certification is to say, yes, I have been checked. I can do this job. Well, you better be able to do the job. So to me, practice makes perfect in that.
2: We've talked uh, a good bit about technical interviews here. And I think that's as you say, one of the benefits of these certifications is that they prove that you have the technical chops. Instead of having this take-home test from a job, you know, you have the certificate, right? You've already done the take-home test.
0: Absolutely. There are quite a few certifications that people today want, you know, ranging from salary ranges that you look at, like, a first-year GCP data engineer is 171 k which is not bad for a developer, And then you look at some of the AWS ones at like 159. So there's a whole range in here of the top 15 that Global Knowledge publishes a report on this every year. The bottom one in this top 15 is at 110 Mm -hmm. for a CompTIA Security Plus engineer. And the top is against 171. So a good range of jobs are available. And, you know, today, in today's world, this is to me... It's like writing your ticket to a job because if you have a certification with the shortage of engineering staff around the world, that cert is going to get you walking in the door. And if you can chew gum and walk and answer questions, you're going to get that job. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Like, I guess that would be an interesting question to know from your perspective, maybe as somebody who's worked with these folks or, you know, has thought about hiring, like you have the certification, you've taken the test, you've done some practice, you know, you, f- you have the skills essentially to do the job at that point. Yeah. What is the deciding factor? Is it on you as the applicant to sort of say, this is the hours or the salary or the location I want, or do you think there's a few other things that might stand in your way, whether that's being conversant in certain, you know, basic principles of engineering or software, or just, you know, that personality connection between you and whoever's hiring, I guess. So I have a chart that talks about what is it that developers want in their
0: career. And the top thing is obviously work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's always going to be number one. You want to have a life as well as work.
1: You need time to study. Yeah. When are you going to do all your <laughs> lessons? When are you going to do your, your upskill That's
0: number two and three, <laughs> which is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Money wasn't second or third. It was career opportunity and learning mm. opportunities, we're two and three.
1: Yeah. I would guess that a lot of the gigs that are hard to fill are probably places where they desperately need someone with this kind of cert, but maybe there isn't a lot of upward mobility or the job isn't that fun, or you'd be kind of on an isolated team, something like that. The reason the job isn't being filled is you know, for other-
0: Or, or the company doesn't invest in you and keep lo- right. having you learn. And the biggest thing I heard, I was at a CIO conference, someone said, what if I train someone and get them a certification and they leave? you know, because it makes it easier for them to leave. And my answer to him was, well, what if you don't and they stay? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, is that really, you know, that's kind of the dichotomy that we're in today is that you want people to be trained and educated and moving forward, invest in them. If you invest
1: in them, they will stay. Yeah. My old boss, when I worked at Vox Media, had a similar sort of way of thinking about it, which I thought was wise, which is that if people are getting poached from other rival publications that's because you're doing a good job, right? That's because people are noticing and taking heed of the, you know, the stories you're breaking. And so it makes your life tougher, but obviously it means you're you know, succeeding and you just need to have that healthy pipeline of new people coming in as well. You do. And I would add one other thing, healthy pipeline of new people coming in
0: and a healthy perspective on how do we upskill the people we have? There are so many people in an organization that are kind of budding data scientists give them some more training around what they're doing. Give them some tools, give them some education. And you might find a diamond in the rough that becomes a really good data scientist. We had an instance in our company where we brought a security training in from security innovation. It was a cyber range. And the person who scored the highest was a programmer, not Mm -hmm. in the security group, but a programmer. That's kind of a new area to get people immersed from all over the organization in different things. Give them that opportunity. I call it pre-scaling.
1: Yeah. Ryan and I were having a conversation just yesterday with some folks who are clients. They were talking about Stack Overflow for Teams and how it's brought together their sort of engineering and data science teams. They can mm-hmm. all sort of share answers in the same place. And the, the the most fun thing is when the subject matter expert answers the question, but then somebody from a completely different department or somebody junior comes in and gives a better answer, You know, and you sort of you suddenly realize, oh, this person, you know, has something to contribute to the conversation. They might not have even felt, you know, like speaking up necessarily over a senior person, but given the opportunity, they can show off those skills.
0: That's a really important thing. When, when someone comprises a team to get people from across the organization and also across tenure, you know, it's great to have novices shadowing an expert and you get kind of that mentoring approach, but then the mentor also learns from the newbie who's thinking differently and probably has some ideas they've never even thought of.
2: You get that knowledge transfer and you get the benefit of the, uh, the expert gets the benefit of the beginner's mind. Absolutely. You talked about the salaries earlier and the top ones were all cloud engineering. Why do you think that cloud engineering is the big engineering role these days?
0: I think it's because everyone and their uncle is migrating to the cloud or in some sort of Either they're migrating to the cloud, or they're newly in the cloud, or they've been there, but they're not completely cloud native. And I think most companies really understand the benefits now. And and in fact, I think there's an endangered species in many organizations, and that person's an infrastructure support engineer. And that person is a perfect candidate to be upskilled to be a cloud ops engineer. It's things that they've done to keep the dial tone working, to keep developer platforms in place. If those move into the cloud, what are those people doing now? So there's an opportunity to reskill them into cloud ops engineers because most organizations that we hear from are some level of hybrid. And whether that's hybrid with mixed Azure, AWS, Google, blah, 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 or is it on prem and cloud and combinations of those together? So Having those people, those infrastructure support people learn the cloud ops engineering. And I think the reason why we're seeing cloud at the top in the certifications is because there are so many companies migrating and seeing the benefits of the cloud. But those benefits are also going to bring challenges. You know, there's the whole security. And the way I look at all of these things, they're not in their own separate little vacuum. You don't migrate to the cloud because you're likely bringing some of your data into the cloud. You're probably bringing some of your, you know, records and databases into the cloud. Uh, You might be doing development in the cloud where you're using GitHub or something like that. So there are different aspects that cloud is not just cloud. It's infrastructure, it's security, it's data. Developers are programming now and storing in the cloud and checking in, checking out. So I think cloud is an enabler, but I think in the next five to 10 years, cloud is going to be infrastructure. We're going to probably rename infrastructure to be cloud ops and cloud infrastructure, or whatever we call it, but they're going to be one in the same.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was on a call just the other day uh, with some folks from DigitalOcean and they were talking, I think, similarly about how... Everyone is pursuing this digital transformation cloud journey and the lift and shift of so many big organizations. And so that is where a ton of the opportunity lies. Interestingly, they noted sort of that leaves a vacuum for other things, small to medium businesses, solo developers, you know, places that maybe aren't as rich an opportunity in terms of the economic value that can be derived from them. And so maybe that's an interesting space for people to play when they don't want to be competing with, you know, the huge cloud giants. Or if that's just they have these skills, but that you know they're not interested in working in an environment like that. So yeah, I wanted to ask you one more question before we wrap up, which was just sort of to get back to something you said earlier. I thought it was really interesting to talk about like sort of skill tracks and role tracks, and the idea that you know maybe you could these days, but it, it, it's not always easy to go into a formal degree and learn how to go from data engineer to data scientist, or go from independent contributor to project manager. You know these things that within the world of software and technology are actually quite well established in terms of a career ladder that one could follow. So can you tell us a little about some of the like sort of skill tracks and role tracks that you offer and how that works for folks who want to go from where they are right now in their career and their journey to some new level or some place that's a little bit lateral? Sure. So we we looked at a lot of data to decide what
0: roles we wanted to build and then how do we transition people from one role to the next. Some of the data that went into that was like looking at job postings around the globe and figuring out what are they advertising for that the skills you need to bring in. So right there is a really good vector to have is like knowing what skills are most in demand around the globe from job postings is one really important thing to look at. We do scrape other sites, including yours, to look at what are people posing questions about, what are they still confused about, and how can we make that transition? Because it's typically... If they're asking a question about how to deploy an algorithm, machine learning algorithm in their new data service, there's a whole bunch in that. A lot's packed into that question. So being able to pull out the skills from that question and then map it to a taxonomy that works for us. So that's how we kind of came about the roles and then the skills that add up to make each of those roles that you're going to need. So that's the kind of the genesis here is that you look at the skills and those are associated with the role. Then you look at the the difficulties someone's going to have transitioning from one to the next role. And that's an important piece about learning is giving them that opportunity to practice it in a safe environment, to be tested on it. I firmly believe that if you're going to take training, you want to know that you learned something. So at the end of that training, you should be tested. If you spend an hour learning something, you would like to know that I actually learned something from that hour. And so getting, getting tested is important. But like everything, there are foundations you need to have. So basic math. We have a new, a new journey that I really love. It's uh, a math for data science. And it's really kind of taken me back to college 30, 30 years. Yeah. Ago. Yeah.
1: Now you sound like you're just a university again, everything. It is kind of
0: like that, <laughs> it's coming but together. it's great
1: because yeah.
0: that lets me check in on, do I still have those skills? I still have the math skills, but I'm not really close to how should I be doing that now? This course is great for that. So being able to build your foundation. And I think the important thing in the future here is that we all have adjacency skills. Like, if I want to be a data scientist, focus on what's important in data science, but understand you're going to be touching other aspects of technology. So, always keep those adjacent technologies in your mind. Gartner has a great term for this it's called a versatilist. You know, we used to have this T shaped employee that was broad and then the T down was deep. Now, you weren't broad in a subject, you are now having to be not only broad but deep in that broadness all the way through so this versatilist really is a jack of all trades yes and they're finding that it's happening already I mean people are building skills to become that
1: versatilist I have seen some some funny screenshots floating around recently you know, Junior developer entry position. All you need is skills in these six languages, five frameworks, front end, back end, full stack. Exactly. Mm. (laughs) No problem. You can jump right in as long as you've got all these qualifications. Need to know Python and Java. Yeah. All you need for it to be a junior is 10 years experience in seven different areas and you're ready to go. Exactly. All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. I'm going to shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge who came on to Stack Overflow and helped save a question from the dustbin of history. Thanks today goes to Benny Bella. Is ASCII code 7-bit or 8-bit? If you're burning, desire to know, overwhelms so you. you can find the answer in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow, or leave a rating and a review for the show. If you like it, it really helps.
2: I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog and the newsletter here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at rthor_donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com.
0: And I'm Mike Hendrickson. And you can find me first name dot last name at Skillsoft, or you can find me at Mike Hatora at Twitter.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in a certification or gaining some new skills, go check out Skillsoft. And thanks for listening to the show. We'll talk to you soon.